And will everyone please help me welcome our speaker, Peter. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank the group and all its trusted servants uh, for getting this thing going tonight and having me here and all of you for allowing me to share freely uh, as God allows me to share. And uh, so far, um, it seems to be getting more crowded than anyone walking out, but we have six more weeks to go, is telling Michael. So, so far, so good. Um, grateful to be here. Um, God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988, and uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I say recovered because I am anything less than that would be falsely humble. And the goal in this path, the goal on this path is about permanent sobriety. Although we live a day at a time, and that's the human condition, we work with 24-hour clips, that's the way we do it. Life of sobriety should be a permanent one. And life of sobriety shouldn't just be separated from the, from the alcohol or any other substance that we're having addiction problems to. But life of sobriety should be permanent recovery and recovered from a single hopeless state of mind and body and the isms that accompany alcoholism. And so when God separated me on June 23rd, 1988, I didn't quit. I didn't put the plug in the jug. I tried quitting for years and kept drinking. I tried putting the plug in the jug, and that made no sense to an alcoholic. I don't know why we say that in AA, put the plug in the jug, because it totally contradicts an alcoholic way of thinking. I tried many things to stay away from the next drink, but kept getting drunk. And in the wreckage of me and a beg, uh, begging for mercy on June 23rd, God said, enough, I have other work for you to do. So sometimes uh, uh, when we're broken and we make a surrender to a higher power, something other than us, great things seem to happen, although it doesn't feel good at that moment. And if I'm seeking anything outside of God for my help, for my refuge, what I'm really worshiping is me. If I'm seeking anything outside of God, I'm worshiping me. And me, I come in the form of going to the gym, you know, 55 hours a day and getting the right tan, and getting the right relationship, and getting enough money. How much money do we really need? Just enough money not to need God anymore. You know, what kind of car do I drive? Sex sprees, and food sprees, and money sprees, and anger sprees, and we all have the thinking sprees. So I go outside, the, if I can, not literally, but figuratively, go outside the realm of God to seek help. And the reason why I'm seeking help, because I know at a gut level, at a cellular level, something's wrong. Something's gone awry. I'm not right. I'm not connected. So I look to reach out. And I do get instant gratification from some of those things. But I usually wake up the next morning with the emotional hangover that the 12 and 12 talks about. And I start to talk a lot rather than listening. And there's another book that says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Because when I talk too fast, I usually put my wrath on other people. And I condemn and I criticize and I judge because it's what my ego insists. 
And somehow I think I'm better than God or have a right to do what I'm doing. I have a right to judge others. And I look to judge without mercy. And guess who has no mercy? Me. Whenever I fall short. This is a really difficult way to live. I become the new God in my little kingdom. I become the new God and everyone else is subjects of me. And you must do what I, what I want you to do. Say what I need you to say. On cue. And I'm constantly searching but never being fulfilled because the new God which is me is empty and fallible. And my big book drives me back to God. It drives me home, not operating on the level of human consciousness, but God consciousness, which contradicts the whole way I've been living up until the point I walk into Alcoholics Anonymous and find a sponsor who's going to take me to the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the reasons why many of us don't like going through the book, because we get to look eyeball to eyeball with our own demons, ourself, and all the manifestations of self, which I've gotten so accustomed to living with that I honor them. And I'd rather chase a woman, I'd rather chase the money, I'd rather chase uh, 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 popularity with all the struggles that that has and all the thinking that goes on with that, all the plotting, all the deceitfulness, all the manipulation, all trying to front to make sure everyone honors me when I walk in a room, but it's always empty. I'd rather do that than to just surrender to God. In my wretchedness, just surrender to God. Take me like the wretch I am, and he'll put me back together the way AA puts us back together. Understanding that even my best motives have some shabby motives in there. Because I'm not right. And it's a long process, forging it out on an anvil. It's a long process. And when I say long, it could be 30 days. It could be 15 days. It could be a year. It could be years. But an alcoholic, I do it. And I want. I want applause. As soon as I say something, on it, give me the wave. You know, we want instant gratification. I do my first step. I'm Moses. You know, right? but it's God's time. And it has to be through the dismantling of oneself and all the manifestations of self where the ego gets grinded into dust. And when everything is removed and we feel like nothing is left, nothing of the self is left, and all that's left is God. And that's when we get to stand, and we get to, but have to, need to, want to, we get to stand in the raw before our creator. And at that point, I experience oneness with God. And in my nothingness, I'm fulfilled. Because in that nothingness, I experience humility, which was there all along. The process of recovery is about removal, never addition. In the removal, we go home. We go home to a loving creator that we get to experience conscious and constant contact with God. That's not going to happen by just showing up at an AA meeting, getting a little red or pink or blue chip. My illness don't care about chips or coins. But my God cares about me. My God, your God cares about you. God's got work for us to do. Am I gonna, are we going to let him do it? If I'm consumed with me, everything's about me. You make a decision, it affects me. I make a decision, I don't care about you. Everything's around, every, I'm totally self-absorbed all the time. How can I do that when all I'm doing is worshiping me? My sex spree is about worshiping me. My money spree is about worshiping me. My new cause is about worshiping me. That's all it is. And what we're looking for, what I was always looking for, was utopia, euphoria, refuge. And I found it in Alcoholics Anonymous coming out of my own wreckage. 
Now, we can be in wreckage forever, and we die. We die active alcoholics, active addicts in our wreckage. But for some of us, in the wreckage, we make a surrender. This process is about daily surrender. Not because I got 90 days and I'm good to go. Not because I got a 10-year chip and I'm good to go. It's a daily surrender because my ego and my mind is dying to flex its muscles and waits for a lucid interval to say, here we go, let's go into the side door. It won't show up with a drink all the time for many of us. Those of us who've been around a while, the illness may not show up with a drink on day one. It's not going to show up with a bag of powder on day one. We're guarded against that. But it'll come into a side door with the relationship, with some popularity, with some money. And little by slowly, I walk away from the very power that's given me abundance in my life, given me a life. Daily surrender to this power, to Alcoholics Anonymous, huh? Am I doing that? Am I seeking God first? Or am I seeking comfort in other areas first? Have my desires become my God? Have my wants gotten dressed up as needs? Do I excuse things in myself but find fault in you for the same behavior? I can't believe he's cheating on his wife. I have a wife and four girlfriends, but it's different for me, right? <laughs> Joe cheats on his taxes. I can't believe it. I'm working off the books for the last 10 years. What's you know, this is how we operate along the lines of human consciousness because my ego insists that I'm right. And as long as ego's involved, God's not. And we can have the ego when we're brand new and we can have the ego when we're in the back end of 30 years of sobriety. We'll know by the behavior, not by what we say. Faith without works is dead. I can claim God with my lips all night long, all day long, at every meeting I go to. But what my actions say when I get up from my knees and go out into my home's occupations affairs, that's where, real, that's where God counts. I want to say a prayer and part the seas. No, I'll find God not there all the time. I'll find God in walking my dog. I'll find God when I make love to my wife. I'll find God when I'm going to work. I'll find God when I'm, I'm, I'm mowing my lawn. I'll find God when I'm cleaning the pool. I'll find God when I in interact with you. But we tend to think when I pray, get off the mat, I'm Moses again. It's in our, our homes, occupations, and affairs that we get to experience God. Let me honor the fire of God in you. Namaste. Huh? That's not going to happen by just going to AA meetings. I found that out the hard way. I would go to a meeting, blind drunk, sit in the back, raise my hand, and condemn the speaker for what they said. I'd character assassinate the whole room of Alcoholics Anonymous. What a bunch of losers. And there I am, blind drunk. You know what people in AA said? Keep coming back. They didn't say, oh my God, he's drunk. Get him out of here. He didn't share from the big book. Then I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was turned on to this book, and it lit me up, and I went through a phase of my early recovery where I was looking for the perfect AA meeting. They had to be in the book. If they're not in the book, they're wrong. It became a us against them. I became a warring theologian. I got on my little pedestal. And I was going to war to me. I had to share the straighten the meeting out. I was going to find the perfect AA meeting. Guess what? If there was a perfect AA meeting, when I walked in, it became imperfect. <laughs> When we walk into a meeting, it becomes imperfect because we're not perfect. The spirit of AA is perfect. The spirit of God is obviously perfect. Our big book is perfect. Our 12 steps are perfect. Our traditions are perfect. It's we, the players, who are broken. Like me. 
which gives me, which is the catalyst for me to surrender to this God and fix me, not according to what I want, because if you fix me according to the way I want, it's me again worshiping me. It's I surrender God, you do it me as you want. And if I'm supposed to live in the Salvation Army, then I go live in the Salvation Army. I will find abundance in that. I will find utopia and euphoria in living in the Salvation Army because it's what God's plan for me, not my plan for me. Our plans and designs do not work. It's another extension of self and ego. This is a leveling of pride that our book talks about. This is where rubber hits the road. Welcome to the NFL separates the men from the boys here. What lengths am I willing to go to experience the glory of God and get permanent sobriety and get recovered in Alcoholics Anonymous? It's incredible what we do in AA. We get a bunch of drunks together in one room, in many rooms across the globe, who all of us have lost our way. We are the broken of the broken. We're a room full of broken toys. And somehow, we're put back together, and what we do is extraordinary with our life. It makes absolutely no sense. I was speaking to a, a, a co-worker yesterday, went away, did time, was at the bottom, of hardcore heroin addict, got put in a sober house after treatment everyone was using. He didn't complain that other people were using, it's their fault. He just sucked it up and says, I'm going to stay clean and sober. I'm going to God. I'm going to God. I'm going to God. Got a job, climbed up the treatment center corporate ladder and is a really big deal at a facility I work at today. Went back to school, got a CAC, got remarried, has children. The guy's incredible. That's what AA does. It makes no sense. We get drunks, we put them together, the most broken of all. We've all lost our compass. None of us have a GPS when we show up here, although the ego says, I'm better than the next person sitting next to me. I'm sick, but you're really sick. Right? <laughs> And somehow we get put back together. In the surrendering that we do in AA, great things happen. But we need to surrender. And some of us don't get there. Some of us surrender on our deathbed and never see another breath. Somebody's drinking. June 23rd, 1988, <clears throat> I had no plans of studying a big book or this spiritual event that they talked about or even going to AA or even going to treatment. Furthest thing from my mind, in fact, my mind wasn't operating for a moment on June 23rd, 1988, which was a great thing. That's how I got here. The dialogue changed. I shared this from a million podiums, and it was, I don't want to die. It couldn't get more pure than that. In fact, if I live to be 100 and I die sober, that is as honest as I will probably be in my entire life. I don't want to die. No attachments, no expectations, not doing this to get her back, not doing this so I can get a job to get money so I can look good. I'm embarrassed. I was beyond embarrassed. I was living in humiliation. Not humility, but humiliation. It was, I don't want to die. And suddenly my life was important. God presented that to me, that mustard seed of willingness to be changed, and I didn't care where I went. That's a great thing. Didn't feel good. That should stay with me, and thank the good Lord it has. I don't care about my future. Concerned, I want to have enough retirement money. I want to have a nice relationship. I have a nice home to go to. It's none of my business. 
So I take the proper action to produce that. But God's in charge of all of that. My life is none of my business. My future is none of my business. Because in June 23rd, 1988, it wasn't my business, and great things happen. Why should it change now? You know why it changes? Because my ego starts to flex its muscles and say, okay, now hold on a second. God, I got it. You did enough work. Take some time off. I'm going to take over. All right? And then things start to happen because what we're doing is worshiping ourselves all over again. I don't need to do a fifth step. I know the book says if I don't do this fifth step, I may not overcome drinking, but that's for him, not for me. Look at me. I'm great. I got a tan, I drive a new car, I live in South Florida, I got my sponsees, word I hate, I hate that word. It's like I'm the king and they're the servants. <laughs> my sponsee is making one year, like I own the guy, right? right? I like the word student and teacher, quite frankly. That shouldn't change that beginner's mind, that sense of desperation that I need God or I'm screwed, regardless of how long I'm sober. And so I show up to this fifth step with a whole bunch of information, whether it be one spiral notebook, a half a spiral notebook, or several, and I'm ready. And I'm ready to turn this whole thing over to this guy or this woman who's about to hear it and is my spiritual guide, my coach, my mentor, and sometimes our idol. And at the beginning, if your sponsor's your idol and you're new, that's okay. I have heroes till today. Some of my heroes have gone home to God. They're still my heroes, my idols in AA. I just understand they had clay feet and they had some cracks in the armor too. But their life, the reason why they're my heroes, because they were with this book and their life was dedicated to God in AA. And not, nothing got in the way of that. And they were of great service. They had great relationships. They were great men. Makes no sense. How do drunks accomplish this? I can't do the ordinary. I, re, you know, trying to get to work. Wait, sober, go to work? Hold on, let's have a meeting about this. How do you do this? <laughs> I missed that, cl that class. I cut class. How do you go, how do you get a job? How do I, why do I have to work? <laughs> Dad's rich, give me money, right? <laughs> can't even pull that off. But somehow, we get sober and we get lit up with God. Not only do we show up for work, we excel. And we accomplish the extraordinary. Sometimes we can get into some problems. I was talking to someone about this Saturday. And it's great. We get lit up with God. But we got to be careful with the ego. Because anything good that comes to me is from the Father, not from me. And all the things I screw up, I'll take the hit for. I'll take the credit for. And sometimes we're on this path, we get this information, and we think we rose above the pack. My meditations are special because God really talks to me. You think he's talking to you, but God's really talking to me. Because God really loves me a little bit more than he does you. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's got a God, but I got the real God. Right. That's how the world operates. That's why we drop bombs on each other. That's why the Middle East is a mess, right? We can't do that in AA. Right. So I got a little lock on God and my ego takes over. And I'm looking constantly to part the seas. I'm looking for the burning bush. I'm looking for something. And then I start to spar. I start to throw little pearls of wisdom out. Then you throw your pearls of wisdom out. And then we spar over who's more spiritual. That's not spiritual. That's all ego. I go back to the ordinary chores that we get to do because we're sober, like going home to our children and doing homework with them. 
Or Michael spending weekends with his daughter whenever he can and being a father to his daughter. Huh? Or my friend Mark being a father to his kids when he was absentee for so long. That's God. Because neither one of those men are supposed to be doing that based on that track record, but they're there. And they're getting pushed around and catching some scrapes on their knees, but they're showing up. They're manning up in a sense, but they're really guarding up. That's where I see God. That's where they see God. And if they're able to part the seas one day, great. It's all God working, but self has to be out of the way. And we need to go through the first line proposals in order to get rocketed into 10, 11, and 12. Or I'm just reinventing myself. I've acquired some knowledge. My ego got a lot sharper. I'll sound great at a meeting, but don't follow me on 95 if there's traffic. Don't follow me into Publix. Don't, don't come home with me and see what my home life looks like. My house looks like a crack house, and me and my spouse are fighting all the time. Come into AA. Om. <laughs> You identify with that? Is that what you said? So do I. So I showed up to my first fifth step. I think I shared this last week that every time, I've gone through the work a bunch of times, every time I was on my way to my sponsor to do a fifth step, I was hoping he'd call in sick that day. Just something. Please, God, let him have the flu for a week. Something. Because I knew it was a, 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 a force feeding of humility and the inner workings of my mind, my stuff was going to be exposed. Now, to be honest, I share with my inventory, my nightly reviews, my inventory, my sponsor regularly. I have a sponsor as a sponsor. And every Wednesday, <clears throat> unless I'm out speaking or there's something going on, every Wednesday at 8 o'clock, I'm on the phone with my sponsor to 9 o'clock and we're doing inventory. And I'm exposing everything about me. And that's how I've been taught, and that's what I do. Tremendous amount of freedom from that. But still, the fifth step's a little different because we're going to prepare for a long talk. This is an hour in and out. This is it on where I've been. And nothing can be, sometimes things aren't that earth-shattering, but it's still the exposing of me. And in order to find out who I am, I need to continually find out who I am not and who my attachments are to. How do I experience, how do I know what this God is all about by finding out what God is not? What attachments do I have that made me think, well, maybe God's there and God's there? I find God in nothingness. Not God in a new car, although it's nice to have a new car. Not God in even the birth of our children, although that's miraculous. We find God behind all of that, the catalyst for me to achieve things like that in my surrender, on my knees, in the morning and in the evening, and in my, all my affairs. How am I doing? My sponsor, Mark, would always say, how am I doing? How am I doing? How are you doing? How are we doing? What's it look like? What's my walk look like? Huh? Pay no attention to even what I say at this podium, but I invite you into my life. Walk with me. I'll walk with you. And you be the judge if I live this or not. Not me. My ego insists that I'm more spiritual than everyone. In my gut, I know I'm just a beginner. Some more experience, a lot more searching than some, a lot more dedication than some, but not as much dedication as maybe others. But I'm searching. 
And so I walk this walk, not because I've given me the power to do it, or I take uh, credit for the accomplishments, but I walk with my God and I surrender to my God. Father, you lead me through this day because I can't do this. I got 25 years worth of ego that's just dying to bust out at any moment. Some of us have 90 days worth of ego just dying to bust out at any moment just to take over just a little bit. I'll steer for just a little bit. I feel good, so I don't need God. I look good, so I don't need God. I got a new job, new relationship. I don't need God today. We, just, we need just enough stuff not to need God. And I get to see me on paper in step five, and I get to see how I've been operating when our book says in step four, we're prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. They're talking about my life. Look at it. And when, if you ever listen to those traffic reporters, they're never on the ground in the traffic. They're always up in a helicopter because they can look down and see where it's clear and where there's congestion. You can see it. We're prepared to look at our life from a different angle with God's eyes saying, here's where I've been screwing up. This is how I interpret the world. This is how I operate in this world, all based on me and my desired outcome. Huh? <clears throat> and I get to see my defects of character because when it's all said and done at the end of five, what I'm left with is defects of character and they have relatives. They keep inviting their friends in. And what most of us do is a defect comes in and we say, well, it doesn't look that bad. And the defect of character ransacks my house, beats up my family, takes my belongings, and leaves. That's on Monday. On Tuesday, he's out there with a few more of his friends. I said, Monday was a bad day for him. Just let him in. He won't bother me this time. And they do the same thing over and over again. They keep bringing more people in, and my defects of character are running the show. What's really frightening, when I become numb to that, that that becomes a way of life. Like when we share the meeting, well, I'm sick. That's a poor excuse. That's playing a victim. There's no need to be sick in Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. Not when we walk into a God room. Not when we have this kind of information laid out all over us. And to claim after so long, a year or two, a double digits, well, I'm a sick alcoholic. Shame on you. And where's God in that? If God could weep, he probably weeps when he hears a drunk with 10 years saying, well, I'm sick. And he's offering us a silver platter, a banquet to get well. And while well, I'm sick, alcoholic, God forbid I should open up the book, huh? And I'm judging and condemning everyone. How many of my defects of character are driven by, fueled by fear? All of them. I got done with my fifth step, and uh, <clears throat> my sponsors, I do this to men I sponsor, we get, an, we get a reading, we take notes, and we get a list of defects of character that perhaps are real. Some of them might, might not, may not apply, some of them will. I tell you, you take these home and surrender to God, see what, what else you come up with. And we have a list of defects that came out of five. Step six and seven become our first step for life. The alcohol is out of the way. The other substances are out of the way. And most of the stuff which we considered objectionable, we're willing to cut loose. My selfish, self-centered ways, my ego, I want it gone. But we got a couple of nuggets hanging around. And as long as one defect around, I have all defects. Like if I'm dishonest in one area of my life, I'm dishonest. I'm a liar. If I have, God forbid, a little bit of cancer, I have cancer. If I have one defect of character floating around, I have defects of character. Am I willing to surrender all of them? 
I better be, because if I don't go to God and have God deal with my defects, my defects will deal with me. And it has no mercy. And why should it? Do I have mercy on me if I'm not doing this work, if I'm not willing to surrender to God? I don't even have mercy on me. And if I don't have mercy on me, how can I possibly have mercy on you? I'll talk you a good game, but heart to heart, no mercy, because it's all about me, because I'm special. I lost my mom when I was 14. Watched her get sick and sick and sicker and sicker, and it was, it was just, it was demoralizing. I played that card for a long time in treatment until one, 1988, one counselor says, why don't you get off it already? A lot more people lost worse than you did. I wanted to punch her in the mouth. How could you talk to me that way? What a wake-up call. Get off the pot, Peter. Because that kind of self-pity was killing me. And I knew it. It was my way of manipulating. And I had to make peace with my past. Defect of character. It's always about me. So we make a list of defects, and what we put next to them is the opposite of the defects. It's a little spiritual exercise that we can work with. Dishonest, honest. Right? Greed, giving. Self-centered, God-centered. And I surrendered those defects in six. I'm ready to let go of the things I consider are objectionable. I have a list of things right here. Father, I'm ready that you take every one of these if it's your plan. I don't petition God and say, take these from me and give me that. I thank him for removing and I thank him for what's left. Thank you for removing dishonesty. Thank you for honesty. And it's part of my willingness is indispensable, it says in step six, meaning absolutely required. After all of this work, they're back to, I need willingness. Mustard seed of willingness will move a mountain. Well, they're calling for it right here. Because I have no one to blame but me, and this is my stuff. This is how I've been operating for so long. Here they are in black and white, the defects of character. What I think they are, and I offer them to God with a spirit of willingness that you should take these, and I thank them for the opposites, and God's going to do what God's going to do. Step six is about letting go, releasing them. What's my intent when I do that? Am I releasing the stuff? Father, take the dishonesty, take the self-reliance, take the fear from me. Because I have motives on how to get better and how to operate better because I want something from this. I want applause from an AA meeting. I want something. Or is it a complete surrender to do God's will because I need to have my God in my life and nothing else but that. The humble man seeks nothing and gains the world. The man of greed wants everything and gets nothing. And we'll keep chasing. We'll keep acquiring things. But I'm always wavering. The double-minded guy. Want God, no God. Want God, no God. Right? And go back and forth. Ten years go by and I'm wondering, how come the guy with 90 days is on fire and I'm still wavering? Huh? And so we offer to God, as I did, Thank you for taking these things, and I thank you for the opposite. And what's really funny, the honesty, the integrity, the courage, the strength, direction, morals, they were giving to me at birth. And we're returning back to that, what God gave us to begin with. And we're simply thanking him. And now what God will do is what God's going to do. There are defects of character that I'm willing to have removed. It's all about willingness. I'm willing to have removed. And God says, okay, I'm going to take that one, take it out root and branch, and another defect of character is no, it just needs to be tweaked a little bit. 
Great story I'd like to share. There was a guy in Staten Island, New York, and he was aggressive, passionate, outspoken, confront you in front of 30 people, knew the big book upside down, even pompous. And he would irritate a lot of people. But he had a stable full of men that he was sponsoring because he was a great sponsor. And he shared one time from a podium, I've been praying to be more mild-mannered, more meek, more subtle. And it just hasn't been removed. And my sponsor, he said, sat me down and says, look at the men you're attracting, the men who need that kind of bulldog. God's not going to screw with that one, even though you're saying take it away. Just has to be trimmed. The edges got to be rounded off. Another man might be meek and kind of really soft-spoken, and he wants to be like that out loud guy. And God says, I'm not removing that because you attract men who need that kind of teacher. Six is about surrendering what I think is in the way to my heavenly father and say, Father, you do what you see fit here. It's an extension of the, seven, of the third step when we get to step seven. It closes with an amen. And when I'm really willing to do this and I surrender, I close up that body work because I'm going to be out of the searching in a minute with the seven-step prayer. And when we look at our seven-step prayer, it has nothing to do with me when I offer it, but everything to do with being of service to God and others that he puts in my life. And I'm surrendering good and bad to God because what I think is good might be bad. What I think is bad might be good. It's none of my business. None of my business. The ego wants to make it its business. My pride wants to take over and get in the middle of that. How I look around other people. Forgetting that God is all forgiving. A God of mercy. God doesn't test me. God doesn't tempt me. My desires tempt me. My desires push me. My desires make the flesh weak. And that only means just literally flesh, but temptation to everything out there. All coming from what I talked about in, in, in week one, the thinking mind, my enemy. God doesn't tempt me. God doesn't give me these little tests to see, let's see where you are. Unless there's a really good reason for it. God's got bigger plans than that. But it's my mind which has desires and wants that tempt me. That's the sin because I turn away from God and something else becomes God. It's my ignorance to God at that moment. When I'm in fear, where's God? I've stepped away. God is constant, pristine, and consistent. All love, no opposite. And so I say the seven-step prayer. My creator, I'm now willing to have all of me, good and bad. Take away, uh, uh, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character stands in a way useful to you and my fellows. It's not about me. Not about me. What I do at six and seven is uh, I'll sit with that six and seven for a couple of days. I can't work on my defects of character. While well, I'm working on my defense, I'm working on my lust, I'm working on my anger, working on my fear. How's that working out for you? Well, I'm still in fear, I'm still in anger, I'm still in lust. Not too good. <laughs> if, I'm work if I'm working on my defects, guess who's working on them? My mind. This is not a good idea. <laughs> what I do, what I do is the prayer, the written assignments, seek counsel with the sponsor. I take the action. I'm a doer. 
not just a hearer. We hear a lot of stuff, and we talk a lot of stuff, but am I doing what I'm saying? So I take the action, and, that's, and then I release it. And God's going to do what God's going to do with that. I can't work on my defects. If I'm struggling with fear, I can't overcome fear because the things I use to block fear off only drive me further into fear. I'm putting up all these walls to keep fear out, and when if one comes down, I'm in more fear, and I drive deeper and deeper and deeper into fear, and fear is the evil and corroding thread. The fabric of my existence was shot through with it. And if I'm in fear, I'm going to operate with you in fear. I'm going to operate with you in fear, and we never have a relationship. It's a fear-based relationship, and fear is contagious. We make other people afraid. But what I do is surrender to, the, uh, surrender to God with the fear, or whatever are the defects in the way, and I start to go home, my first step for life. It's my current unmanageability that our book talks about on page 52. It's defects of character. I haven't had a drink in 25 years. I'm not cured. I'm recovered. But because I haven't had a drink, it doesn't mean the defect is, okay, he's got 25 years, leave him alone, we'll go somewhere else. Because they've gotten 25 years worth of strength. 25 years worth of looking at the roadmap on where can we get him? They know the cracks in the armor better than me. Makes me really seek God and surrender to God. Father, you protect me from me. One of the things I got, uh, I'll share this story. I, was, I went through the work, it was probably my third or fourth time through the work. And for some reason, I was moved after my sixth and seventh assignment to go into meditation. And I sat in meditation. What came to me was this, Father, save me from me. Because the biggest guy in the bar will knock me on my butt, beat me up, put me in the emergency room. Okay, then he goes home, and it's over. But me, I'm relentless. I will allow me to suffer, be humiliated, and do all sorts of terrible things, not only to myself, but to others. Save me from me. Really, what I was saying was, please take this mind from me. When we're offering conscious contact, when we want to turn things over to God, when we seek God, when we want consciousness with God, what we're really seeking, what I'm seeking is for the voices to stop. Please stop talking to me. I, don't, I can't do it anymore. I'm playing to the band. I'm playing to the crowd here. I can't do it. Make the voices stop and let only one voice be left, and that is my God. Make the noise stop. And that's what came out. Father, save me from me. I, uh, at the same time, uh, I remember going into six and seven and sitting in this meditation. What moved me into meditation was the feeling I was getting. Gone to the work a few times. Pretty much know what to expect. Got my list here. Going to surrender to God. The intent was pure. I love the effect produced by God. I wonder where God's going to take me now. Sometimes we go through the work. Let's just kind of go through the work. You know, a little enlightenment, a little more uh, awareness. Awareness, the greatest agent for change, right? And sometimes it's electrifying, but we don't know. But this one particular time, I'm starting to feel physically ill. You know when you're brand new? And you're trying to sit there still, and you're fidgety, and you had no coffee in you yet, and you're fidgety, and you got anxiety, and your mind is racing in 400 different directions, and you worry about, you think everyone's looking at you, and it's just awful. <laughs> everyone's head went like this. Yeah. Yeah. I was feeling physically ill. And I remember feeling not only anxiety, but like weak. Sometimes we get, we get bad news, and you know when that bad news hits and you feel weak? Like you're just gonna, I gotta sit down because I feel like I'm gonna pass out. This is what I was getting. 
There was no thought of a drink. That's why I was divinely inspired. But I felt physically, I felt like I was dying. I felt like I never walked into an AA meeting, never went through the steps, never prayed. I was raw and I was feeling ill. I didn't know what was going on with me. I had, a, I had a lengthy fifth step with my sponsor prior to this. I don't know what to do to stop it. I got to meditate. The only thing I can do is I got to catch my breath and just get centered again. I was feeling sick like I was dying. I went into this meditation. Father saved me from me. And I called my sponsor and I says, uh, Mark, I don't know what's going on, but this is it. And he said to me, it sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone. I didn't like that. <laughs> Why do you hang up the phone? Sounds like you're having an experience and hangs up the phone. I was having an experience. Again, I was presented with being out of my mind. I was experiencing, and we talked about this later on, the death of self before the physical death, which is what we talk about. We must be rid of self. Self must die. I was experiencing it. It felt like I was dying. It was the most awful feeling, yet on the back end, it was incredibly freeing. When our book says we get reborn in AA, it's exactly what happened. We recreate our life. God removed a whole bunch of stuff, and that didn't feel good. It felt like the life was sucked right out of me. The illness was sucked right out of me. I got to stand before my creator in the raw with double-digit sobriety. Gone through the work a bunch of times. The reason why he only said, sound like you're having an experience and hung up the phone, it's similar what Silky did to Bill. When he says, it's better than what you had and left him alone, he didn't say, well, let me give you some sleep meds for this one, Bill. Let me prescribe something. Let's do a little process group. Let's talk about your feelings. Let's read page 449. You need a nice hug. He left him alone because he knew something was going on. I'm not going to interrupt this. This guy's in a God place right now. What Mark saw with me was an experience, and if he started to interpret it and try to figure it out, it would destroy what I was feeling, what I was experiencing. There's a God deal. Leave it alone. Now, I didn't like the information. My ego wanted, oh, Peter Marinelli, my star pupil, is having a hard time. Shut down everything. Meet me at the local AA meeting, and we'll talk about it over coffee. Did you ever see two alkies who are in trouble at a diner talking over a problem after the third cup of coffee? Oh, my God. <laughs> <clears throat> They're talking at the same time. You feel good, I feel good, I feel good, I love you, you love me, I love you, I love you. <clears throat> <clears throat> so he left me alone. <clears throat> I was upset with him at the time, when he, at that moment. The next day, there was some things going on in my home. And uh, I was married to uh, an alcoholic. And it was ugly. And I wanted to be a man's man and control. Put my hands on the wheel and say, I'm the king, the king of this, this kingdom here. And we're going to run it this way. And I couldn't. My tongue was bridled. God shut it down. The damage we can do with the mouth. The damage we can do by saying one thing. You can get into a fight with a guy, shake hands an hour later, and you get on with your life. Say something, he'll hold on wrong, and they'll hold on for forever. God had my, my I was locked. 
took no action, and I could feel it. I could feel it. And God shut me down. This is God doing for me. I couldn't do for myself. I felt like less than a man, like a coward. A man would do this. According to who? According to my ego, a man would do this. What is a real man? One who follows God, worships God, does God's work. And sometimes we do things we don't like, like shutting up. It turned out perfect. And if I would have taken my, my actions, it would have turned out very imperfect. Can't solve a problem with the same consciousness that creates it in the first place. And my mind wanted to solve it. Sunday's prob problem, Sunday's solution would have been Monday's problem. God shut me down. And it turned out it unfolded to be perfect. Eventually there was a divorce, which was painful. I said, God left me again, and the separation, and the getting on with one's life. All because of that, and I said, where's God leading me? But it was the journey that I had to take. So she can go to her corner, and I can go to mine, and we both can get on with our lives. That didn't feel good, but it's exactly what God knew I needed. And it started with, be still, and know I'm here. When my ego says, no, no, I need to say something here. God, I need to share. <laughs> right? Right? Defects of character. We got them. It's our brokenness exposed. And yet we surrender to God. And I'll just close with this. Just a consideration. Please understand it's a consideration. Just to kind of open us up a little bit. We say in AA, we'll always have defects of character. I'm always going to be imperfect. And that's probably true. Defects of character will always be imperfect. I'm always flawed. Spirit's perfect. Spirit's divine. Spirit's pristine. But my humanness is broken. And I'm always going to have defects of character. And I offered this one time at a workshop. And just a consideration. Just to kind of open it up a little bit. The greatness of God, all love, no opposite, can move mountains. God can do great things. We surrender our alcoholism to him. When we're in the gym, we, where do we go? Oh, God, please help. Because we know about the greatness of God. If this great power wanted to come into this room tonight because he had a special mission for Mark, my friend Mark here. Mark, I got a special mission for you. I need to pull you out of the crowd and wave his hand over Mark and say, from here on out, without defect, perfect, to do something I need you to do. Is that possible? Absolutely it's possible. Absolutely. Will it happen? God knows. Will we ever be perfect? God knows. Am I imperfect? Absolutely. But when I say that that won't happen, I'll always be imperfect, probably true. But am I saying it because I'm doubting my, the power of my God? Something to think about. How great is my God? How powerful is my God? How loving and how much mercy does my God have? And has my God selected any of us for special journeys, special missions while we're in AA? We have people who set up this meeting. Right? They're here every week. They do all their notes. They do their chips. They give away the coins. They do all the stuff. They make sure the room's right. They follow the, the, the rules. Totally contradicts what alcoholics do. Show up at 3 o'clock sharp. We show up at 9 o'clock. What's the problem? In, in charge of money, group money, gets accounted for. These people are put on a path to do some God's work, service work, so all of us can come here, sit back, have a cup of coffee, and have an hour of peace of mind, huh? 
See how you find God in little everyday mundane chores. Huh? That's all I got. Peace. <laughs>